There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a part of the in crowd. Everybody wants to, to look good. My decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Um, <laughs> Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. Hi, it's David and John, uh, the Debt Free Guys, and we're here for another episode of Queer Money. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, millennials and retirement, uh, something that uh, I think a lot of... 20, 30-somethings don't necessarily want to think about. It's a long ways off, but there's a lot of great things to be thinking about, some fun uh, uh, and interesting topics that we're going to discuss today, ways that we can uh, maybe take advantage of the time that we have or some of the tools that are available to us uh, that are tech- technology tools that are available to us. So, um, And again, we're, uh, we're glad to invite back David Ray, uh, David Ray CFP out of LA. Uh, he's uh, a regular guest. Uh, so CFP we'll, or CFA? CFP. Oh, oh I'm CFP. sorry. Financial planner. You got it. You got it. Oh, okay. okay. So uh, we're, we're happy to have you back, David. Uh, Thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Were, absolutely. Yeah. Great to have you back. So you've been... Um, all over the country. You were just in New York and uh, P-Town? P-Town. I, I like to fly back and forth as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you come back to LA in between? We did P-Town for the 4th, and then we just went this weekend uh, to New York, my husband and I, to see Hamilton, the musical. You may have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> you're lucky you got tickets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I worked hard to get those tickets. <laughs> they are they are. Not easy to get, but it was a lot of fun. You should definitely check it out. And P-Town is amazing for those of you who've never been. Uh, I'd never been. So rented a house with some friends and my husband and just had a great time. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah, actually, I saw some of your posts uh, on Facebook. And at the same time, there was a group of people from Denver who are out there. And oh, yes. I, I don't know if you guys <laughs> ran into them, but uh, it just uh, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, we are... As a community, we're often very well-traveled, it seems we to be. We do, and we... Collect in the same same general vicinities at the same time. I guess would be the way to nicely put it. Hence, I had friends from across the country. You had friends there. I mean, it's just just a busy time and a lot of fun. Yeah, so, absolutely. And when were you with Mrs. Obama? Was that a couple of years ago? Or yeah, that's a, that was from two years ago okay. at the uh, Pres- President Obama's White House reception for the LGBT community. So oh, I had the cool. pleasure of attending there, and that photo just. It just pisses people off that are dickheads, <laughs> and people love it. I love it. It looks like she's sitting on my lap, so I'll we'll totally. flash that up at some point in time. It's yeah, a lot of fun, and I was just on high heaven meeting her. So I mean, I just that that will be in my repertoire of pictures for quite some time, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt, and she's she's totally handing up the camera for you. So that's probably. Oh, cool. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. We just came back from um, visiting my family in Philadelphia. Um, uh, we stopped in, in downtown Philadelphia and we gave a talk at the William Way LGBT Community Center. Yeah, um, was that? You guys looked busy, busy. It was yeah. cool. Yeah, we hung out with um, Philly gay lawyer um, Ang- Angela Giampolo yeah. um, and uh, <laughs> Kevin of Verde Salon. Um, Kevin Gatto Gatto of Verde Salon. Verde Salon. Met, a, met a few of their connections in the city. Right. Uh, able to cool. connect with the. Uh, 
the uh, Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce there in Philly. So we've got some great connections. It's yeah, be a lot of fun. Work more to come from more. that. Then we visited my family in Hershey for their 50th, my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary. Congrats. So, that's amazing. Good yeah. example. Good example we can learn from. Yeah, yeah David exactly. and I have to be like 80 to achieve that goal. <laughs> It'll be there sooner than you think. <laughs> Slow down. Yeah, so, yeah, today we're talking about millennials and money, um, retirement and careers. Um, so, what I think was interesting, we were talking with my nieces who are all millennials um, at various stages of their lives, um, and the environment today just seems so much different than when I graduated college, and I'm sure when you graduated, I'm guessing you, since we're all yeah. about the same age. So, I mean, how how would you guys prepare, if you were a millennial today, how would you prepare for getting into the workforce? What would be one of the first things you would consider doing? I think they have a lot more opportunities and a lot different opportunities because I think there's definitely a gap between say where we are at, you know, 29 and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and our, you know, we're, we're probably more social media savvy and things like that than people 10 years older than us, but compared to millennials who could, you know, in the dark, turn on their phone and Snapchat and, and record videos and do things like that. They're just, they've got some light years ahead of us, but then they were also coming into the market. A lot of them started, or were in college during the financial meltdown of 08, 09, et cetera, and they're maybe afraid of investing or the job market just was horrible when they came out of college. And they probably came out of college with, say, more debt than we did or our parents did. So a lot of things to think about there. It's a very different environment than for us or for people 10 years older than us. Yeah, I think that a lot of millennials have um, some not only in their peer group, but but older than them, and in many cases, individuals who are younger than them have a lot more examples of individuals who have become entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and gone out on their own and become a success, and, and maybe not you know massively financially successful, but they are uh, living a life that they enjoy. And they are doing everything that they want to do, rather than I think that you know when when we were in college and especially in high school, we were kind of ingrained with this idea of go to school, get a good uh, you know education, get a good job. You're going to be at that job. Now, I think that we were kind of in the generation that was doing a lot of job hopping, especially during the the tech bubble days of you know uh, early 2000s. I think that became much more common for people to job hop. But today it seems like more and more millennials are being encouraged to go out there and do something on your own and much less than what we had. Well, I think the opportunity is to follow your passions and dreams and and make a living of it or at least make some decent money of it and be happy are much wider than they maybe were. For, say for us or for our parents, you know, if you want to do underwater basketball, I'm just going to joke or throw it out there. But, you know, us playing video games as teenagers, uh, probably there really wasn't a career path there, but there's people making buco bucks yeah. right. playing video games or Comic-Con just happened in San Diego. I mean, tons of money is being thrown at this and there's tons of money in video games that I think there probably was money being made when we were kids, <laughs> but it probably was nothing compared to what is being made now. And I really don't think there were, outside of maybe a few people playing video games for money, there probably weren't very many making a living playing video games, for example, or taking selfies and putting it on the internet. For, right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's some I get internet celebrities making tons of money and, and doing yeah. very well for themselves. Or as your more to your point is just being happy and enjoying their life. I mean, finding the balance between how much money you need or how much money you want and being happy. Right. right. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, to talk about how old we are. No, we're not that old. 
but we only we had to have somebody explain to us how to catch a Pokemon, <laughs> and we caught our Poke- first Pokemon downtown Philly. But I do think I think that I think um, what millennials are doing from from my nieces, um, from business owners that we know who interview uh, millennials, and the stuff that I've read, um, it, it seems like the millennials have redefined what success is. I think our generation, um, at least most of the people that I went to high school and college with, we were all striving for that six-figure salary. We wanted to have that nice house, the nice car, live in the great city, and have that fabulous lifestyle. Right. I think that millennials um, saw what their parents went through in 2008, and, right. and some of them are still struggling because with repercussions. And I think they, they thought to themselves, I'm not going to sell myself out to a business um, who's going to take my life and then be quick, be quick to kick me out. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search for happiness now, so I'm going to find an employer who cares about the things that I care about, somebody who's not going to chain me down, somebody who's going to be cool with remote access, all that kind of stuff. So I think they just redefine what it is, and if they have to give up a, a several thousand dollars to do that, I think they're more than happy to do so. Yeah. Can you bear with me for a second, Dave? I, I actually, I've kind of noticed that it doesn't look like we're actually picking up any sound from our speakers. Okay. Um, so, so I just want to do a pause. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm going to, I just want to make sure that this is actually I hear, picking oh, up sound. Oh, I don't sound. hear you, do I? No, I don't hear so us at all. So are we just speaking? So I don't know why that's happening. Microphone. Okay. There oh, we there go. go. So geez. Could you, so you obviously could hear us. So then I could, could hear you guys. Okay. Good. Right? So, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking it was recording. I'll just have to cut this, this little bit out. Okay. okay. You, don't, you don't want to go like this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hello, son, hello. <laughs> Did you see all David's pores? <laughs> we need facials. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. No, no problem. So Better to check now than to not have sound. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I forget where we, uh, oh, so I just went on my bloviation tour. Um, <laughs> Well, I think you were just saying that uh, millennials were not as maybe driven by things, but more about experience and quality of life, which I think is a big, a big choice and a big change in attitudes. Because I think a lot of us were raised on cars and houses and and incomes to pay for those cars and houses. And there definitely was a, a wave before the financial crisis of debt, 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 debt. You'll just make more money. And right. you guys probably saw some of the fun of that when you accumulated some debt and then had to pay it off, which I'm sure the accumulating was way more fun than paying off, but congrats on paying it off. Thank you. (laughs) I think that one of the other things I see see with uh, millennials is that they have the task of trying to have one foot in the reality of today and another foot in the business world of yesterday. Yeah. So they, they may be coming into companies that have been around for 50, 75, 150 years and are not necessarily as quick to allow somebody to sit at their desk on Facebook for four hours a day or um, understand the value of social media and what it can do. You know, I think coming from the financial uh, background, the financial industry background, a lot of companies were very hesitant to allow individuals to get involved with social media, especially promoting of the companies or saying certain things online because of, uh, of regulations and, uh, well, and the SEC and FINRA is still tight on all that stuff. They're not, right. they're not at all um, liberal compared to what we're, what we're doing with our business or what you're doing. Right. Yeah. So I, I think what it does though, is it positions them very well to be able to be, if they can do it properly 
to be leaders in their company and encouraging them to take certain technology steps forward to connect with other millennials. And I think that's part of what social media is about. I think it was originally kind of a social network, but now I see more of it being as a way for individuals to connect to businesses and businesses to connect to individuals. And it's the individuals who are the bridge in between there. Yeah. Definitely. It takes a village to make all this stuff happen. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I guess it kind of leads us to our next question, you know, taking that into consideration, how should, how can millennials maximize the opportunities that they have um, that we didn't necessarily have both um, with their careers and how can that tie back to them preparing themselves for financial security and retirement? I think there's there's two prongs to that. I think you mentioned there's a lot more job hopping going on, and you know we did it in our, our day as well. But I think there's even more of it happening now, and you do have to find the right situation. You have to find the place for upward mobility because I do know as a financial planner that you know if you're working at the same firm, you get a promotion. You're going to get a little tiny raise. Ooh, you got your promotion. Let's let's pat you on the back and give you that promotion. Where if you don't take that job and they hire someone else, they're going to pay someone twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars more. You know, huge jump. Or you maybe go to the next job and you get hired back for that forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars more six months later because you all of a sudden were much more valuable to your employer in, in the way they thought about you. You're doing the same job. You've got the same skills. You didn't magically learn fifty thousand dollars more worth of stuff. Perhaps maybe you did uh, in six months. But I do hear it all the time. Someone will have to quit before they get that raise or promotion or they they get their job to mat, match that job opportunity. Um, for people who are hopping, it does become a little more hard to keep up with your employee benefits or saving for retirement because a lot of times there is a delay there and it does take a right. little bit more discipline to stay on track of that. I do um, also, age, age is not an issue on this one, but I do people who job hop sometimes lose that little 401k that has $800 in it or $2,000 in it. It's sitting somewhere. They, they move 20 times. They job hop, and they forget about it. I've been doing this for 14 years, and I have clients that have been my client for a decade. And they're like, oh, did I tell you about this this account? It's, <laughs> some of them are quite large. It's $100,000 they forgot about somewhere. By the How do you time miss that? <laughs> I mean, good problem to have to find money. Um, or sometimes I'm calling in with them, uh, looking up accounts and just trying to track some money down because I knew where they worked and they should have had an account and they told me they put money in it. Uh, but, you know, just keeping track of that or finding ways to make sure you're keeping on top of those things. And sometimes technology can make that a little easier with online access. You don't have to keep updating your mailing address or stupid things like that. Because I do think with job hopping, you may move more often or just being a millennial or a little younger, you're more likely to be in roommate situations that aren't as long term as, say, owning a house. You know, you do bounce around and it is easy to forget about a bill or, or a statement. And you do want to stay on track. Right. Yeah, you know, the job hopping thing, I think one of the things you're kind of highlighting there is that we need to be, individuals need to be much more strategic. It's not, um, there's so many uh, uh, things to consider. Are you close to a bonus payout? Are you close to a vesting opportunity for your retirement when you go from 20% to 40% or sometimes 50% to 100% and maybe staying, sticking around for three months, although it may be a little difficult is going to provide you with a very sizable financial gain. So make sure that we're, you're looking at those opportunities and saying what, and 
it may be contacting your benefits provider at work and saying, oh, what kind of, uh, what, what uh, milestones am I getting close to? Uh, and be honest with them. You know, that it's you're better to check than to, to miss something. And even, you know, you may think, oh, this job's giving me a big raise. And it's not that big a raise if all of a sudden your insurance premiums jump or right. they don't match. Or I do have, I have a very select tiny few people that have uh, pensions. But around here, we have a lot of tech in L.A. And we have a lot of people that get stock options. And again, that vesting schedule can be very different, whether it's 364 days, you get $0. 365 <laughs> days, you get 20 grand. Right. You can work there an extra day or a month <laughs> or three months. And you want to be aware of that because yeah. that may offset the raise. And I think people, if we're talking job hopping, you don't want to just job hop to job hop. It's like, you know, I'm bored. It's been three months, six months here. You want to try and be moving upwards. I mean, I think that the opportunity to have a better title or more responsibility or better pay or hopefully some combination thereof. Because I see a lot of people that bounce around and it doesn't, they never get anywhere. They're still the same level. Right. And that's just a pain in the butt. I mean, you're working harder and you're spending time interviewing and you could be out having fun with your friends. Right. I think you bring up a good point. You know, I think when, when you're looking at your current job and you're looking at an opportunity, prospective opportunity, the financial services industry is very big. At least the bigger firms are what's, you know, the, the total rewards packages. So I think yeah. you need to look at everything in addition to just the salary. It's not often just the salary of taking to get your coverage, your 401k plan, other benefits. I know that a lot of employers are offering now um, compensation for tuition, which millennials might be attracted to. So you need to look at the whole package in totality of what they're offering you and not just, you know, the, the, the five or six figure salary that they're promoting because it may be more or less than what you're, where you currently are. And I think one of the things to include in there is if you've been with a if you've been with a company for a few years, you may have gained some seniority when it comes to time off. Uh, but right, then right. you you hop and you go to a new place, and all of a sudden you go from three weeks of, of time off to two weeks time off, and that can be a one less a, week a, in tea time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it can be a to your your ability to spend time with your friends. So right. it does make a big deal. That's very important to a lot of people. I think especially millennials uh, definitely value that. I value that. I think vacation time is very important to me and my time away and. For work, I always come back. I meet someone nice and new that wants to be my client. So it, it is good for it is good <laughs> nice. for me in business. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you're in that kind of business, it's awesome. Yeah. So, I, I, how do you how do your clients respond when they come to you and say, "I've got a promotion that is giving me a bigger salary," um, and you tell them, "Let's skim some of that and put that into a for your 401k or into a Roth or let's invest that somehow." Are they, do they respond positively, or what kind of advice do you have around that? I think it depends on the client. So quite often it really goes over well. And a lot of things I try and set up based on like, especially like 401ks or retirement accounts as a percentage of what you're making. So it kind of automatically happens. You don't have to manually go in. If you're putting away five or 10% of your income and you get a raise, all of a sudden you're putting more away. You're still putting away 10% or 5% or whatever that number is. Right. You're just going to be getting more into your 401k when you get that raise. So you know, most people do, if they're working with me or working with a planner, they have some financial goals they're trying to reach. So, you know, if we're tying it into, okay, that putting $100 more away will get you into the house sooner, that means, you know, you're going to have a bigger down payment. It, it's a motivator. Right. If it's just me, like, save $100, don't spend it. No, well, they I don't want to do that. I mean, that's, I mean, you've been, you're, that's not how I am. I do think there are some, unfortunately, some financial planners that, uh, 
kind of go at it like, eh, don't spend your money. I can't. You brought a Starbucks in here. That two dollars would be worth three dollars in ten thousand years. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, I don't care where you spend your money. I just care that you're saving enough for your various goals. Again, if you come to me and say, I want to go on vacation to P Town next year, it's going to cost this. You need to save the money to have it. I don't want it going on your credit card. Right. If you have it, spend it. Uh, you know, if you're going to buy a house in a certain amount of time and we're going to save $1 a month, it's going to take you 10,000 years to buy a house in LA. You know, so that's just where the conversation goes. And if 10,000 years is your ideal time to buy a house in LA or in Colorado, wherever you want to buy it, sure, we'll save a dollar a month and I'll do my best job investing it for you. <laughs> yeah, what can you get with $1? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing. We'll save up for a couple of years and I'll buy, you know, one share of a fund or something. But I've been being a little sarcastic here, but, you know, I try and make this as much as fun and possible, but it's really about what you want to accomplish. And again, the more you're saving, the faster you can get to those goals. And just think how nice it'll be when, you know, we're talking to people and millennials, they're a little younger. You've got a long time to retirement, but just think you get a tax break for any money you put in. You're probably getting a match, hopefully, from work. And it just really compounds a lot. So that means, you know, compound interest means your money's making money for you. You have to put in less and you'll just have to save less. And you don't all of a sudden wake up at 50 and go, oh, my God, I have got no dollars saved for retirement. I think the average 50-year-old has like $25,000 saved. And, okay, even if you're living tight as a millennial at 22, 25 on 30000 a year, I mean, you're probably scraping by and I'm sure – whether you're materialistic or not, you probably would love some extra money. So, right, right. so do it a little sooner and make it a little easier on yourself. It just spreads out the pain over 30 yeah. years. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, what's important to, to keep in mind is the, the, the younger you are, the easier, the more um, adaptable you are to environments and you can maybe survive on ramen noodles and having a roommate. <laughs> but the older you get, you're you, you kind of, it's, it's harder to live that way. And eventually you're going to want to get rid of the roommate. So right. if you can suffer or struggle, it's not so much suffering, I guess I don't want to make it sound that but if you can if you can be a little more frugal and, and money conscious when you're younger it'll make being growing older a little bit easier right and i always remember when i first started working in the financial services industry this example of someone uh that, that or that they used in uh in encouraging us to set aside money for retirement that if someone who started at 20 started saving two thousand dollars a year and stopped when they were 30 compare that to somebody who started saving $2,000 when they were 30, that the person who started saving at 20 would always be ahead, even though they stopped saving money at 30. They would, they were, and obviously there's some, some slight, slight tweaks to that that could change that, but they're going to always be ahead, be ahead because they've got that extra 10 years it's and that compounding ahead. interest. That was one of the, the things I ran. I kind of calculated. Basically, if you started at, I think if you started at 18, so it's a little different, but basically same point, if you started at 18 and saved to 30, so basically same example, you'd have more than double the money if you saved the same amount per year as the person who started at 30 and went to retirement at 65. So there's one person saving for 35 years, one saving for 12 years. The person who saved for 12 years would have more than double the money of the person for 35 years. So right. that's assuming some average market returns and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, you get the point. Start <laughs> sooner. I mean, you rather save for 12 years or 35 years. You know, do it do it now when it's, when it's easier. And again, you know, it'll make it so much easier to save. And you might even be able to retire early. So when we're talking about, say, 65 or 67, and those numbers might be pushed back for the younger folks because we're going to live forever. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, we 
some of us think about we're going to live forever that we don't need to save for retirement, but that means you're going to be retired for a lot longer and it'll be a lot more miserable when not you're 90 and are uh, eating ramen. So. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, that that whole idea of living forever and, and uh, being able to retire early. I was listening to a, another podcast today and uh, the individuals who were being in, interviewed were a couple who were in their early 40s. And they had just reached $1.3 million in saved money in their retirement account. And the whole reason that that had happened was because they had made this, they had made choices when he made choices when he was in his early twenties to start saving a certain amount of money. And I think it was, uh, it was just uh, five years ago that they were around five and a half mil, or, or sorry, uh, $550,000. And, they experienced this huge increase because the market has gone up significantly in the last five years. And because of that, both of them are looking at retiring. He's 40, yeah, he's 42 and she's 40 and they're looking at retiring. And I think a lot of millennials say, oh, yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to retire when we're 40. Well, you know, it doesn't happen by accident. Pay the piper. No, it doesn't. <laughs> exactly. Well, so I think that the non-Republican elephant in the room that we have to consider, though, is um, – we didn't necessarily graduate with mountains of student loan debt. Right. So what, um, if you could take a step back before, you know, preparing for retirement, how would you, you know, if I was a 21 year old gay guy who came into your office and asked for advice on how do I pay off my student loan debt? I just got my first job. I've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. What should I do? What, What would your recommendation be to him? Depending on the situation and you're kind of looping back, we did talk about retirement. I kind of try and make everything line up together as a plan. So, you know, student loans, there may, depending on who's in office in the future, maybe some help for people with 100000 in student <laughs> loans, but we can't control that. Um, you know, depending on how low those their interest rates are, especially if they are the subsidized loans that have relatively low rates. And if they're at a job with a match, I would probably have them save enough to get the match for retirement. You can figure out how much they could save, but I really want them to get that match because that's free money. And that's usually way more money saving them than for savings than putting money away towards the student loan debt. And then I have the rest kind of going to pay that down. We kind of figure out what other financial goals they have and what time frame is reasonable to pay off that student loan debt. I mean, if we're 21 and we're, you know, at an entry level job and we have a hundred thousand dollars in debt, it's going to be hard to pay that off really quickly. You can have a plan and you're probably going to need to extend that out, not on the 10 year plan. Uh, if you're going to eat uh, so uh and while we do like to be skinny in our gay community we do uh some of us like to have a little more muscle so we do need to eat something that ramen is as cheap as it is does have a cost so. lots of carbs to that yeah. but you know don't put it off i think you know being aware of it don't don't fear it it's there put money towards it but don't freak out i mean especially with people that are really upside down with, you know, multiple years worth of income. I came out with a few thousand dollars, so nothing crazy. I was very lucky to have a full ride to college for the most part, just had some living expenses. It was a hundred bucks a month. I really don't, I haven't had to deal with myself, but I do deal with a lot of people. I have a lot of people who've come out of law school where we're talking multiple hundred thousands of dollars or med school, which is even, well, better or worse, depending on how much money you look at it. You know, so, you know, you want to, you want to be, conscious of it you want to be aware that it's there and you you do need to do that because there's a little bit of a shackle around your ankle as far as job opportunities and things like that having that student loan debt right. there and a lot of jobs do look at your credit rating so that will affect your credit a bit so you do want to make payments 
But you do have a lot of opportunities to consolidate those down to maybe a little bit lower interest rate because we're in a low environment right now with interest rates, whether they're the lowest or the highest or whatever. We're we're in low rates right now. So right. you do want to lock some of that in if you can. And you make, I do have a lot of people that extend it out over longer periods of time than the traditional 10 years just because it is such a big number. And I want them to be able to do things like saving if if we're just talking spending more, I don't like to have you extended over 30 years. But if we're all of a sudden meaning we're saving for a house, we have an emergency fund, we have some of these things that you should be doing anyways, I'm much more comfortable with someone extending it out a little bit longer or doing like a, there's different payment options based on your income or time or all these fun, fun things that we don't need to dilly dally on every detail <laughs> up here. But I'm not the one that that word. He calls me you know, a lady for using that word. <laughs> I like to say dilly dally, but I also like to explain things based on your exact situation. So, you know, right. to, to ramble off the fine print of the million different options there would go, oh, Carson. <laughs> <laughs> and Carson's talking. Oh. Right. Um, awesome. So, you know, we, we do have some stuff coming up there and we do have uh, a political election I've heard this year. I don't know what it's about. Someone's running for something. Uh, it's not on Facebook, if you don't know. <laughs> so it sounds like then when you get your first job, you, what you're recommending is open up your 401k, at least do the company match, and then contribute or, or start working to pay down your student loans. And if you can refinance them, um, do so at a lower rate if that's possible. Is that I, You can do that with personal loans, but you can't do that with um, – that, you know, when you go through the FAFSA process? Is that how that works? There's different loans have different regulations. And then right now, you, sometimes you just lock our variable rates on the loans. Mm-hmm. So kind of right now, it's not it's kind of like a refinancing as a way to think about it, but it locks in the rates if you consolidate some of them. So you'd be at the relatively lower rate or they average them out. So there's some more opportunities there and different loans, private loans versus the government loans have different rules and regulations and ability to charge those off. So they don't go away. Uh, right. You do have to pay them. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give a plug here for a friend of ours, uh, a, a personal finance acquaintance of ours. Um, uh, his website is millennialmoneyman.com and he paid off $40,000 in student loan debt in, a, yeah, I think it was 18 months on a teacher's salary. Wow. And it so, can be done. Yeah, exactly. And so he, <laughs> he's got some great examples on things that you can do on his website. So I would encourage you, if you have listeners or watchers that have a lot of student loan debt, that may be the way to go. But you're right, there's a lot of options out there. I think that one of the other things that's so different today with young people is the opportunity to earn more money in do, in all of this gig economy or side hustles that individuals have. I mean, there's there's options with uh, being a Lyft or Uber driver. There's uh, doing uh, editing or or, or uh, uh, freelance writing. Um, all sorts of work that can be done. So if you feel like you have, and you know, this is one of the things that we've done when we've been in various cities, we've talked to various Uber drivers, Lyft drivers and ask them, you know, why they do it. And one of the things that seems to be common is that a lot of them are doing it as a way to, to have spending money, but the, but the money that they're earning at their regular job is money that's being set aside for paying off their student loan debt and paying their living expenses. So if you feel like you have a crush because of so much student loan debt, um, explore your opportunities to earn a little bit more, have multiple streams of income. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with what we're doing, you know, I didn't really know when we got into doing debt for guys, the doors that would open up when you have a certain amount of reach on Facebook and Twitter. um, And when you've had a blog that's been around long enough. And um, if you can do that 
in the morning and evening like we did to get everything started, um, you could really create yourself a nice um, side hustle income and maybe even someday it would replace what you went to college for. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when you have some money coming in, you can make opportunities happen for yourself or make choices that are better for your long-term business rather than, I need to do this job for $20 because I, I'm, gonna, I'm desperate for money. Right. If you have that money in the bank, if you have that emergency fund, you're able to do the right job that's going to build your long-term career, build your, your website, in this case, your blog, your, your different things there. You can make yeah. those choices or invest the money in it to actually get it up and make it look professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned emergency savings a couple times. Um, yeah. and I, I, so I, I think I would anyway put that at the top of one of the first things to do. If you don't already Absolutely. have one, when you graduate college and you get your first job to, to add that to your, your whole holistic plan. Um, there's a lot of considerations to take in there, but I would definitely put emergency savings at the top there because if you do have get fired, you do have any problems, all of a sudden you, know, you, you don't have any resources probably other than dad or maybe mom and dad um, to help you out if you have some trouble. Right. An emergency savings account, it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter how much, but at least it allows you to be a little bit more nimble. Uh, we yeah. know that the the, the um, job market can change on a dime so quickly. You know, the, if the economy turns, um, into, that's one of the first things that employers start to look at is getting rid of staff. Yeah. And so that would allow you to carry yourself for uh, maybe even if it's just a two-week period or a month, you know, you, having that emergency savings set aside is so important. Well, even job hopping, we hear about, you know, there's a lot of people, you might miss a paycheck. You're going to get paid eventually, but how do you pay your rent in the meantime until that paycheck comes in because there's a gap? Yeah, right. You don't want to be tied to your job just because you can't miss a paycheck. And no one wants to lose money or miss money, but right. there are opportunities where you're not actually losing money. It just isn't coming in today or someone doesn't pay you back. And it just can give you a lot more freedom. And, you know, there are. I hear the with Facebook. I do have it. More stories of roommates disappearing in the middle of the night and rents due tomorrow. And you're like, oh, I'd like to keep the place I live. Right. You know, things you can't really control or, you know, flat tire or you guys are out in snow. I'm sure all kinds of fun things happen. Yeah. yeah you know, I think you know, when we didn't, when we were in $51,000 worth of debt, we had no freedom. And then we eventually saved up six months worth of living expenses. And all of a sudden it was a weight off of our shoulders that, if we really had to give our boss the middle finger and leave, we totally could have. <laughs> um, or if we got fired, it would, you know, obviously it would be depressing or upsetting, yeah. but you know, it would, it would be, we could recover from that and we wouldn't have to necessarily go to the unemployment line, line immediately. Right. Um, you know, we had some cushion there. So I, I, that's why I would urge anyway to, um, everybody to focus on getting emergency savings account as quickly as possible because yeah. it, it just makes you look more free and, and like you said, more nimble. And our first step was was reaching a, the goal of a thousand dollars. We saved a thousand dollars because I think that was kind of it, some people say five hundred, some people say a thousand, but it really kind of depends on your income and your expenses. But that was kind of the first threshold for us where we said, okay, we can breathe easy if something does happen. You know, we get into a car accident or somebody steals our car or our home is broken into. We have some money to, to cover the deductibles yeah. and those kinds of things. And that was kind of the first step we needed. It's great to break the goals up into little smaller chunks. Because if you say three to six months, someone's going to go cross-eyed at you and go, ah, that's a huge, crazy thing. And you need the action steps to get there. Because if you get to $500, then, okay, next, five, I did 500 I can do 1000 Very easy, you know. And it's, you're moving along, and then you, you have to work towards the bigger goals. Like, right. It did take us, like, 10 years to get to the six months, right? right? So it wasn't, yeah, yeah that definitely wasn't. <laughs> right. so, um, so I'm a millennial. I graduate college. I'm awesome. I get my first job. I open up a 401k. 
But then things sometimes get kind of scary, like what are these mutual funds and how do I invest in ETFs? And so um, what can, should we talk a little bit about what kind of investments are available and uh, kind of a uh, uh, simple explanation? Right. <laughs> Without crossing any guidelines in the financial <laughs> services industry of giving advice, <laughs> what can we Yeah, so, well, like, what, so most 401ks allow you to invest in a mutual fund. What would you say yeah. a mutual fund is? So a mutual fund is like a collection of different investments. It can be either like a pool of bonds or a pool of stocks. And it's all, it just makes it easier to invest. You don't have to go actually pick the individual stocks. You can also just put in $84.10 and get $84.10 worth of investments versus if you're buying an individual stock and it's $500, you have to wait till you have $500 exactly. So it's usually a little bit lower trading cost. There's probably no trading cost in your 401k. Hopefully, I'm assuming. I don't know your 401k. <laughs> Uh, there shouldn't be, but you know, it's just a great way to, to invest easily. You know, it's nice uh, to be putting money in on a, either your paycheck probably twice a month or once a month, and it just helps buy into the market throughout the year rather than you having to come up with one big lump sum at the end of the year. Um, as I really can't, we don't want to get into too much of the investment stuff because it, it's specific, but I do think don't be afraid of the market. I do think a lot of millennials saw the, the downturn like again they were either in college or the older millennials are in their early 30s now hard to believe uh, we're all getting so old uh, <laughs> but you do want to look for opportunities to invest and you know think you have a long time till retirement a long time you're going to have to be working and saving and investing so you can take these market dips and they're a great opportunity to be investing so don't be afraid of another big crisis like that but tons of people have made a lot of money since then and their accounts actually really by the time it went up, went down, went back up. Most people are in, in very good returns if they've done anything even okay in the stock market. If Barack Obama great, has been very good for the market. Yeah, it has been very good. I do like Barack, and I think Hillary will be eight more years, hopefully. Uh, Trump will be, well, you know, get your, we'll build those uh, nuclear things that they used to build in the 50s. Bunkers. The Russians are coming. It's not the Russians are coming. Nuclear wine cellars, is what I call them. Uh, wine cellars. <laughs> But I think the point is to get started, even if you don't know what to invest. I'm not saying just pick any investment, but you know, even if you just pick an okay investment, you don't have to be perfect on your investment choices. You don't have to pick the absolute best investment because there is no perfect investment. There is no best investment that everyone would know about or, or be able to invest in. If you save the money, that's the hard part on your end. And there's someone like me who can come in and help you, like a financial planner, and pick the investments or change it later if you happen to pick something that's kind of a dud or or doing it even even you know just picking something middle of the road look for like a balanced fund or an index fund of some sort there and really it depends on your 401k and what your options are there because every 401k is a little bit different and what they offer but the point is to get started and get some money saved and again even if the market drops and you've gotten a company match you're probably playing with the, the boss's money anyways if you want to put it that way. It's a little little easier. You know, you put in a thousand bucks and your boss put in another thousand. So as long as it doesn't go down in more than half, you're still gonna be ahead on your money. So I mean, no one wants to lose fifty percent. But even even with the downturn in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, the market dropped, but then it went back up. So we're at records again. So I, I think studies have shown over and over again that a well diversified portfolio, um, the longer you're in a well-diversified portfolio, the better you do. The longer you wait, the more recovery time it's going to take. Yeah, so exactly. just don't be afraid of the market. Get into it and, and, and don't don't wait. Yeah, I, I would say you know a lot of individuals now are working are working for companies that automatically enroll. A lot of a lot of larger companies, especially, automatically enroll their employees. So take the time if you're a millennial. Take the time to just 
you know, even if it's 15 minutes, just look over what is provided and make sure you don't just let it sit in cash. Because if you are letting it sit in cash, it's going to go nowhere. You can't yeah. get any sort of return. I remember talking with clients who had 401k accounts and, you know, they had been sitting in cash for eight or nine years and it was just shocking to them that they hadn't made any money, but they also hadn't made any choices and they hadn't been looking at it. So, and the other thing is, is that when you are working with a 401k provider, your 401k provider will always have a, a service team that you can contact and speak to them about what are your options, what, how various investments are performing. So if you want to educate yourself, that's one of the best things you can do is to contact that 401k provider. Right. Yeah. So I'm a millennial. I have a 401k. My, my company offers um, stock options. Um, I think a lot of times people who, um, especially when you're younger, you get your first job, you're like, I want to, you get very passionate about your company and you want to invest in the company. So how do I, um, you know, obviously we don't want to have an Enron experience. <laughs> um, what, uh, any advice on how to invest in your, your company stock options and to what extent should you do so? I think that would be kind of something that would be a little further down the line of goals. So if, you know, if you're wanting to buy a house and you want to pay your bills or pay down your student loans, you may want to look at some of those things a little ahead of the company stock options. Um, I'm not a huge fan of putting all, definitely not your 401k into company stock because we've seen Enron and a lot of people not be diversified and get themselves in trouble. Um, beyond Enron's the worst case scenario, but there are the people who've just lost a lot of money at the same time they're losing their job, which is Never, never a good thing. <laughs> but you do want to look at those stock options. Because a lot of times it can be another great way to invest and usually do get it at a little bit of a discount depending on, on where you work because they do want to encourage their employees to be tied into the company and to own it and just be aware of, of sometimes there is vesting schedules and different things like that. So you have to work there for a certain period of time to really get the full benefit. So if you know you're leaving your job in three weeks, uh, you've decided you're quitting, don't really uh, jump into that plan. <laughs> but also, if you do have, have some stock options and there is a vesting schedule and you're planning on leaving, make sure you check the dates and make sure you find out that you're not leaving at day 364 instead of 365 right. or 366 and getting twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 more money. So. Definitely things to think about. It just occurred to me, we, um, whenever you set up any of these accounts, it's always important to make sure you set up beneficiaries on those accounts. Yes, um, make true. that one, of, you know, as you set up, make that something to do as soon as you set up those accounts. Um, and then check them regularly so right. that um, you have the right people down. Exactly. And people and, you don't like inherit your money. Right. <laughs> and, and just for clarification, somebody might not understand that word or that term beneficiary. That's that's the individual who receives the funds and if, if the event of your passing away. So who do you want to have your money go to? <laughs> Otherwise someone else gets to decide that. <laughs> you know, here for the, we're talking to queer millennials here, you know, you may probably may or may not be married. Luckily we have legal recognition. So your spouse would be the presumed person, but it's much better to put it down. Otherwise, you know, if you were just dating or other things, it will go to your 85th cousin or your, you know, your, well, hopefully your parents are not as uh, homophobic. I think it's that, that realm is, is decreasing and we have a lot more opportunities to be out and about at work and, and with our family, but there's definitely still, unfortunately, quite a bit of that. So, Well, and if you change jobs as, or change uh, partners as quick, often as you change boyfriends, you might want to make sure you update that beneficiary <laughs> yeah, at least annually. If not more. Print out 20 or 30, you'll go through them. <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> um, so, you know, you, you brought up um, the LGBT community. Um, obviously, we're all part of that. Are there any other considerations um, that we might advise for millennials to take into account with regard to their careers or with regard to um, financial planning and retirement? 
I think now that we have legal recognition, it's probably less of an issue between companies that offer, maybe we're offering domestic partnership benefits and different things like that, or cohabitation benefits for health insurance and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Also, the Affordable Care Act has really helped that you're not tied to a job to make sure you have insurance for, for those of us that really need it. Or, but um, as for well, many of us, it's just you have a lot more opportunity to be out and about and proud and really, really work on that. It's a great opportunity to network and have mentorship that I think maybe wouldn't be as available for straight people. I mean, you know, I don't know, leave it at that. <laughs> um, and then also, you still want to look at the company culture, though. There are definitely are going to be people that maybe, while not homophobic, maybe less friendly to it than others. There's definitely companies that are gay-friendly, more more friendly, or do more for the community. So things that really may interest you and may have a more opportunity for you to go there. I don't think the financial planning for millennials, other than different goals and different trips and different lifestyles, really are that much different. We do have a lot of different things we want to spend our money on. Um, we have some advantages to not, well magically get children we uh, get to plan a lot more but at the same time we're going to spend a lot more when we do uh procreate however we choose to do that so yeah. things to think about there, was there. That study that we read that even um gay couples who don't have children the cost of having children raising a child from the age of eight one to uh, zero to 18 is about two hundred forty-five thousand. right and even gay couples queer couples without children only have $6,000 more on average than their straight counterparts. So I, I think we tend to spend a lot more than we maybe should, or maybe we don't plan, uh, appropriately plan um, our finances the way that we should. But that's something to take into consideration. If, if we don't have those costs of having children, we should, ha- on average, have more money saved up relative to our straight peers. Right. And that 6000 year referencing is amount of money that we have saved in our, in our retirement versus right. our straight counterparts. And so it does. It really does kind of speak to the idea of, uh, and David, I think you're, you're a perfect example of, of someone who provides this kind of advice of helping an individual put forth a long-term plan. And, and, and if you're a millennial, I know that maybe two or three years seems like a long term, but still having a, a two or three year plan as to what's going to happen with your money when you're 25 or 28 or 30, um, if you can do that now, you're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of your peers when you get to 25, 28, and 30. You're going to be the one who's taking off and going to going to PV because you have the, the funds and you're not going to put it on a credit card right. or the one who can buy a house with your partner because you've saved up that money when yeah. you're 28 versus your peers who are going to do it when they're 42. Yeah. <laughs> I've had my house. I bought it at 27, almost 28. So I was very happy right there. And, you know, yeah, it took work. I'm here in LA. It's not a cheap place. And, and again, things like retirement or retiring early or a big vacation, it takes some planning and it takes some work. And if you can avoid it, making some mistakes like digging your, yourself into, you guys saw that 51000 how much fun it would have been to have all that interest back to take trips or do something. or $10,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it just adds up. And if you can avoid those mistakes, life will be 100 times easier. And just making smart financial decisions, it just things run more smoothly. All of a sudden... No one wants to have an emergency, but if you have that emergency fund, it's like, okay, I've got the money, I'll pay for it. Right. And then you're not in a hole versus the, the never-ending cycle that some people are in. If I saved up to zero, I'm paid off my debt, the, you know, and then I'm, oh, <laughs> I paid off my debt. Oh. It's a never-ending cycle, and you really don't want to be in that realm. You want to get ahead, and you want to be saving more money. Yeah, I think back to the point of, of having the emergency savings account, I think it's even more important maybe for the queer community because there are still 28 states who 
in the country who don't have um, employment protections for LGBT individuals. So they could lose their job simply for being gay um, without any other recourse. So um, and your only recourse would be your, your, your emergency savings. So that speaks to the power of that. Right. And you you never know, you know, the polarizing what's happening in our country. You never know. You may end up working for an employer who decides to take that out on you. So being prepared is, is right. probably your best advantage. Yeah. There's a reason they're fighting and trying to keep that on the book, those laws on the books. There's a reason their religious freedom laws are coming. There are people who aren't with the times. <laughs> so <laughs> we're fun. nice. We're fun. Why don't you want us to work for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, most of us are nice and fun. So your money. <laughs> so your power is with your money. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think we kind of pretty much covered everything that we yeah. wanted to cover. Is, is there anything else that we haven't haven't that we missed? Just get started now. I mean, there's not anything specific advice, but keep listening to this podcast and check yes, out our blog. So. And, you know. <laughs> and um, your website is? Financialplannerla.com. That's financialplannerla.com. <laughs> we, write, we write some fun articles. Yeah, some gay, articles, yeah. gay people in mind. And hopefully I'll keep appearing here, which is fun and getting positive response. You guys do a great job. So thank, thank you. you. We are going to do, um, we're going to cover a similar topic um, for uh Old, uh, Gen, Xer, Gen, Xers. Gen Xers, and then um, we'll and then do Baby Boomers as we'll do well. Baby Boomers as well. So um, expect more uh, on this particular series, and then we'll of course have David Ray back for other topics as well. So, um, so that's cool. Thanks yeah. for joining us again, David. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And um, we'll uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to Queer Money on YouTube and on iTunes. And um, we'll be back next week with another Queer Money. Sounds good. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> would help me if I had a personal chef made all my all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh,